Thank you so much for the birthday song. Uh, yes, I really appreciate that. Excited to be preaching on my birthday. Um, it was a fun fact that none of you will care about, but I was born on a Sunday. And uh, I'm 58 now, not really. Uh, <laughs> also, before I forget, congratulations to the Illinois football team on a big win yesterday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and grace, that you are the eternal God. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you offer through your Son. And may we eternally praise you for that. Lord, I do pray for Ben Ravens and the immensely serious uh, health issues that he has right now with pancreatitis. And I pray for your blessing for him his wife, their child, parents, the whole family, Lord. I'm sure this is a very stressful time, so I pray for him today as he's in the hospital. I rejoice that it seems like things were going a little bit better last night, but just pray for his continued recovery and for your nearness to him, Lord. And I also pray even now for the, the surgery that'll be coming up in a couple months, Lord, and, and I pray for that to have uh, fantastic results and be uh, just a life-changing, positive event for, for him and for his health. Lord, I, and I pray for him and just for, again, for patience, for peace, um, and for his health. Lord, I, I pray for uh, farmers right now who are in the, the time of harvest, and I pray for uh, just for that to go well, for, um, Lord, you to bless the harvest and the bounty of the land. Lord, I pray for this little girl, Lily, who um, was hospitalized, and I, I pray for her continued recuperation and um, Lord, for, her, for her health after this. It had to be a scary thing for her, so I, I pray for this child. I also want to pray for the family of uh, Walter Herleman after his passing, Lord, and I pray for his family. And for your nearness to them, Lord, in, in this time of, of loss and sorrow, Lord, we mourn with those who mourn. I pray for the message today, Lord, that it would be faithful to your word and pointing people to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Text this morning, out of the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit.
What do you see when you look, when you look at this picture? Look at the design of the lobby. Just think to yourself for a moment if this reminds you of anything. The picture is of the Liberty Hotel, a luxury hotel in the heart of Boston. It features amenities such as concierge services, overnight shoe shines, in-room safes, and free valet parking. But as you look at the main lobby, I'm curious, what do you see? Is there anything that this reminds you of? Before becoming a luxury hotel, once upon a time, the Liberty Hotel was a jail. Boston's Charles Street Jail was built in 1851 and was operational until 1990. It served as the county jail for Boston Suffolk County, and in the nearly 140 years of its operation, the jail house housed the likes of civil rights leader Malcolm X, the notorious 1920s anarchists Sacco and Vanzetti, as well as Frank Abagnale, whose life influenced the movie Catch Me If You Can. The place that once housed criminals is now a place of luxury. It's the same structure, but internally, a totally new creation. Jail cells became bedrooms, guards replaced with bellhops, cots replaced with comfortable beds, prison food replaced with gourmet cuisine. We're continuing in the Gospel of John this morning. And as we come into a new chapter, chapter 3, it's the beginning of Jesus' first major teaching discourse that he has in this gospel, which is where we'll be for the next few weeks. As we've talked about throughout the Gospel of John, one of the themes that's significant in this book is the idea of new creation. We see the theme of creation in the opening prologue to John. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' first miracle, where he turned water into wine, his first miracle. And in that, we see that Jesus is the bringer of the new wine. Last week, Jesus compared himself to the temple who would be raised in three days. Jesus is the new temple. Today, Jesus will talk about new life and new birth and being born again. The main idea of our passage this morning, taken right from the text, it is that uh, unless one is born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. A good theological term to know for today's sermon, regeneration. That's the theological word used to refer to being born again. In other words, born again and regeneration are synonymous with each other. Being born again is new spiritual life, which causes a person who is dead in sin to be made alive to the gospel through faith. It's a supernatural work of God. All Christians are born again because all Christians have experienced regeneration. There's no such thing as an unregenerate Christian. That's not a Christian. An unregenerate Christian is like a vegan who eats meat. It's a contradiction. So what we're going to do for the next two weeks, today and next Sunday, is talk about regeneration. This week, focusing on regeneration, being born again, as it relates to faith in Jesus. Next week, we will be looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. And with that, let's jump right into our passage this morning. Verse 1 into verse 2. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, 
a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. So at the beginning of our passage, Jesus is approached under the cover of night by a leader of the Jews, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. We're introduced to Nicodemus for the first time in this gospel. Now, as a reminder, the Pharisees were people who were highly respected and esteemed within the Jewish community. Nicodemus would have been a man of stature in the community. The Pharisees were devout in their lifestyle, their love for the word of God, their study of God's word. For a man like Nicodemus, he would likely have had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. He was an expert in the law. He would have always been at church, always been at Sunday school, always been at the Sunday night Bible study, always been at the potluck, a stand-up guy. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And as Nicodemus talks to Jesus, he talks about the signs that Jesus has done. Nicodemus says in verse 2, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He sees something in Jesus. With a man like Nicodemus, it would have been easy to never question his salvation. Clearly, he was walking with God. Verse 3, he comes to Jesus and Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is Christianity to you? What is the gospel to you? Is it that you believe in God? That isn't being born again. Nicodemus believes in God. Is it found in being drawn to Jesus, liking things that he says or does? That doesn't make you born again either. Nicodemus saw the signs that Jesus was doing. Is it in being a good person? Nicodemus was a very moral person. That isn't being born again. Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's not up for debate. Jesus says that you must be born again. He doesn't say it's a good idea to be born again, or I really think you should be born again, or the best way to live is probably to be born again. No. He says that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the one who died so that we could have the hope of redemption. So his words on the subject are authoritative. To not be born again is to be dead in sin and not raised to life in Christ. In the process of being born again, you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you turn from sin to Jesus... And when you come to him, there is grace. There is forgiveness for sins. But here's a point that I think we too often miss. It needs to be a genuine faith in what Jesus has done. And the validation of that sincerity will manifest itself in a life that is transformed by the gospel. If there's no change in your life, if there's no fruit, if there's no greater love for God, if there's no appreciation for the work of Christ, if there's no recognition of the cost of your sins for which Jesus went to the cross, then for the sake of your own soul, 
it's worth questioning if you really believe in Jesus and if you've really been born again. There are many things we like to tie to regeneration. I gave some of these examples last week, once again. For some, they look at baptism. Baptism is a command of Christ, and it's important. But baptism does not confer regeneration to you. Baptism doesn't make you born again if you don't have faith. Baptism doesn't mean anything if you don't ultimately believe in the triune God in whose name you're baptized. Some people like to tie faith to family. Well, mom and dad are Christians, or were Christians, or a relative was a pastor, or a bunch of relatives were pastors. That's a great blessing. But that doesn't mean you're born again. The faith must be your own. For others, it's something like saying the sinner's prayer. I asked Jesus into my heart. But did you believe it? Did you place your trust in him? If there's never been any evidence in your life that Jesus is in your heart, is he really? Don't go through life thinking to yourself, I said a prayer one time, or I got baptized one time, and that's all that matters if you're living a faithless life. Because a person who's never had faith still isn't saved. And words don't change that. And water doesn't change that. The only thing that can is recognizing your inability to live up to a God who is absolutely perfect and holy. And that while you could not live up to his standard, while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for you. It's not some inconsequential change. It's a monumental and miraculous work of Almighty God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Nothing existed, and God spoke the universe into being by the power of his word. But when it comes to being born again, the regeneration that God works in us, God takes a person who is dead in sin, God takes a person who is opposed to him, who does not trust him, and makes us alive. He gives a new life and a new birth. Nicodemus receives Jesus' command to be born again with confusion. Again, Nicodemus is a teacher. He knows God's word. He's very moral, and Jesus stops him dead in his tracks. Unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Interesting to think about that as it's my birthday. The answer is no. I think if my mom could give birth to me again, I think she would. But With what Nicodemus says, he's either dumbfounded by what Jesus is saying, or some scholars think that maybe he's being a little bit sarcastic. But either way, He's purely looking at this in terms of just physical birth. Verses 5 and 6. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Again, we'll talk about this next week. But regeneration, being born again, is a work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus touches upon that in these verses. It's a spiritual rebirth. And it's because regeneration is spiritual that it necessitates a life that is changed and transformed by the gospel. Because it's not us who change ourselves. Rather, it's the Spirit in us. It's so easy to assume that a person who goes to church is a Christian. You're not if you haven't been born again. Not if you haven't truly turned from sin and turned to Christ. So I ask again, what do you believe? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you confessed him to be Lord? Have you turned away from sin? Be honest. Has he really changed your life? Or are you just going through the motions? It's always been part of your life. It's always been familiar. You know the right things to say. But you don't really believe it. Jesus makes us new. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The Apostle Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are born again to the hope of the resurrection. That is what we have to look forward to. Has the gospel changed your life? Don't get me wrong. We still sin. I'm certainly not saying that if a person ever sins, that they haven't been born again. Some churches teach that if you really have faith, that you'll never sin. That's not a biblical idea. 1 John 1, 8-10 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Yes, we still struggle. Sometimes we sin in really major ways. But are we okay with sin? Do we not care about our sin? Do we not make a big deal about our sin? Do we not think our sin really matters? Are we comfortable with sin? In some ways, do we glorify our sin and think, well, God has to forgive me anyway? Or do we have a hatred for sin? Do we have a desire to grow and to be who God wants us to be? If we have a casual attitude to the things that God opposes, Are we really born again? Are we really walking with the Lord? And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to point you to Christ. If you really have never said yes to to, to Jesus, turn to him, come to him in faith, you can do that. You can trust in him and believe in him. And to know that the gospel is true, To know that he is the savior of the world. Don't let pride get in the way of that. Jesus will accept you because he's a loving God. That's the good news of the gospel. That no matter what you've done, Jesus will forgive you when you come to him. 
Part of the good news is that getting it right isn't on our shoulders. It is trusting in the forgiving grace of Christ. It is trusting that his grace is enough, that he loves you. But if Jesus is just all right with you, and you're still living just like the rest of the sinful world, talking and acting just like everyone else, never growing, never having a desire to know Christ better, let me encourage you to examine your own heart and where it truly is. It is the gospel and faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross that saves. There was a man named John. He had grown up in the church. His father was a minister. John was a minister and a missionary. He had worked with prisoners. He had written songs about God. He had been an evangelist. A brilliant man, John had gone to Oxford. A solid theologian and a diligent student of the word of God. In a lot of ways, John was a lot like Nicodemus. When he was 34, John was sharing the gospel in Georgia, but he was empty inside. In large part, John was making his relationship with God purely about his devotional practices and morals instead of about genuine faith. He wasn't born again. He returned to his native England. He attended a church service And they were reading from Martin Luther's commentary on Paul's letter to the Romans. He would later write in his diary, diary, while he was describing this change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. On that night, in 1738, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, a man who preached 40,000 sermons in his lifetime, truly understood the love of God. He was born again. Have you been born again? I'm not trying to introduce confusion because it's simple. It's recognizing your sin and turning from that to Jesus, knowing that he is the Lord. It's knowing that you're a sinner, but that Jesus is a forgiver. It's interesting to me. People complain about the church. People say they don't go to church or they don't go to church anymore. Why? Because hypocrites. Churches are full of hypocrites. Now, certainly, there are times where people can be hypocritical. But oftentimes, I think the hypocrisy and the evils that people complain about within the church are actually from people who aren't born again. People who aren't walking with Jesus. Again, just because someone's in the building doesn't mean that they're a Christian. Multiple times the Bible tells us that that's the case. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is saying there is that there are people who are calling upon the Lord who will not be with him in heaven. Not because Jesus lacks grace, but because there are people who are insincere and disingenuous about their faith. And while that might fool friends and relatives and people at church and people at work and people in the Bible study, that will not fool God. The person won't enter heaven, but Jesus says, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus isn't saying that we earn our way to God, that we earn our way to heaven. Again, the person who legitimately is saved and walking with Christ will have a life that is transformed by the gospel. And how we act will be different. We live in a, in a nation where insincere faith is rampant. Roughly 75% of Americans identify as Christian. Every other year, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research partner up for the State of Theology survey. Last year, they surveyed 3,000 professing American Christians. 67% of professing Christians said that they believe that God accepts the worship of other religions. 67% said that they believe that people are good by nature. 32% disagreed that a person is counted righteous only by the work of Christ. 43% of professing Christians said that they don't believe the Bible is literally true. 41% said that they don't believe the Bible is accurate in all that it teaches. 30% of professing Christians denied the belief that hell is a real place. And we could go on. But far too many people in our society claim to be Christian, but then don't believe the things of God, the words of Christ, the teachings of Scripture... They act like what you believe doesn't matter. That the Bible is just a bunch of stories and that you can take or leave Jesus. That you can be good enough without him. Really, there's lots of ways to him. And all of that is in total contradiction to scripture. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. If the Bible isn't trustworthy, neither is Jesus. Because... All the scripture points to Christ. The Bible is all about Jesus. It tells us about him, the love that he has for us, the death that he died for us because of our sin. If that's not trustworthy, then the gospel isn't trustworthy. If Jesus isn't a savior, then why are we here? Church is not the moral lessons club. Jesus says that for people who who just put up a religious facade, Matthew 7, 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? We were ushers, Lord. We served on a committee. We volunteered to help out. We always took communion. We were good. None of that matters if you don't have faith in Jesus. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus will say, I never knew you. It's not that a person had faith and lost it. 
It's not that a person had faith and didn't do enough. It's that a person never had faith in the first place. It's for the person who's never been born again. Because when you're born again, that changes your very soul. So it's not about doing things by themselves apart from Christ. It's about trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not about saying, well, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll say that I'm a Christian. It's having an actual faith that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is your Savior. It's not about believing that you're good and that you're basically the key to your own salvation and just saying some things about Jesus as some sort of formality, but having a relationship with the Savior of the world. There is no other way apart from Christ and falling at his feet in thankfulness for his mercy. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? If he's not your Lord, is he really your Savior? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Philippians 2.12 says, To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that puts our focus on the cross and what Jesus has done for us. Do you believe that you're a sinner? It's hard to accept Christ as your Savior if you don't believe you're a sinner. It's hard to trust in Jesus as your Savior if you don't believe you have anything to be saved from. Too often in our culture, we like to emphasize the love of God without ever wanting to talk about the justice of God. God is love, but he is also just. And there is a price to be paid for sin. Do you believe that? Or do you find yourself thinking that you're actually not that bad? That your sin isn't really such a big deal? But you believe that there is some sort of God, so you just say that you're a Christian, but you don't really belong to Christ. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. For a person who is walking in faith, let us thank God for the work of regeneration that he has done in your life. But if there's anyone here who in your heart of hearts knows that you don't really believe, stop trusting yourself and your own goodness for your salvation. Have you been born again? You don't have to be a master of theology. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the answers before coming to Jesus. It's about trusting in him. And you can come to Jesus and know that he's the savior of the world and trust in him. The Bible says that salvation is in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And it also says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Coming to Jesus in faith. And when we do that, the grace and forgiveness that Jesus extends is sufficient. We are justified. We are made right with God. Again, my point isn't to make you doubt the saving work of Christ, but to have us question where our faith really is. Is it in yourself? 
Or is it in Jesus? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your grace. But I pray for everyone here today that we would trust in Jesus and walk in his ways and have a relationship with him and believe in him. Lord, I thank you for your infinite grace that no matter what we've done, we can come to you. Lord, no matter how we've screwed up or the shame that we feel, we can turn to Christ. Lord, it's because he is all-powerful and all-good and all-loving that he can be all-gracious no matter how bad our sins are, no matter the direction that our life has taken. Let us rejoice in that and trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen.